while we remain standing, I hope you brought your Bible with you this morning. Give you a moment to find the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, Old Testament. This will help you. It's right next to Amos. That, that, that's a dead giveaway right there, isn't it? If you look in the front of your Bible, there should be an index. It will tell you exactly where that's at while you're doing that. There's a reason why God shows you certain things as you're walking along with him. I went to Bible college with uh, my son was up there at the time. And, of course, uh, my background rather was illiterate at the time. And I was sitting among a bunch of Bible college students. And the uh, I thought, okay, I was taught to take notes. I'm going to take notes. And the reason is you can't memorize everything I'm getting ready to say. Some of you think you can, but you can't. And so I'm sitting there, and they, he was talking about a prophet in the Bible, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. And I put down like money prophet. As soon as I did that, it dawned on me, this isn't right. So guess what I did? I looked around. I was college students. I took my hand, and I put it over my nose. We're here to help. We're here to help you learn the Bible you to do. So I don't want you to feel out of place or embarrassed. A lot of people will not bring a Bible because they simply say, I don't know my Bible. Well, I need just here. Don't lean over. I want you to hold still. That way you can listen to me. And listen to me very carefully. So this is why we need our Bible. You need a Bible so you cannot say, well, that's what preacher says. No, no, no. I want you to say that's what the Bible says. You do that whether I'm around or not, you're going to be okay. All right? So look in Jonah. Did you find it? You find it? You know how it's called Jonah? Jonah chapter number 1, I want you to look, if you would, please, in verse number 1 through verse number 3. Now the word, I'll read out loud, you read silently with me, please. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now don't key in on their wickedness or this or the, or the city he's going to. We're going to concentrate on Noah this morning. And what happened to him? Look at verse number 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Father, thank you for the Bible. What would we do without a written word? We would be doing what a lot of charismatics are doing, a lot of even Baptists and other people are doing. We'll just make up some stuff saying God gave it to us. You gave us a word of God, and you said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. If there's any one thing we know will always be the same and not change, and dear Lord, that's why these new so-called Bibles are not of the Lord, because they're changing things. And you said no. You said you were the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Your word changes not. You don't change. So help us, Father, please, this morning to understand if there's any one thing we can depend upon. It's not always a man, that's for sure. It's not always a church, that's for sure. I'm not against these. But men in churches sometimes crumble or fail or let us down. But not you. We may misunderstand you, but it wasn't, you didn't let us down. We let us down. So I pray that this morning, Father, every born-again Christian that is in here this morning will take assessment of themselves and say, is that me? 
is God basically talking to me through the life of Jonah? Is that what's going on here? Lord, help me to help your people. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Thank you for the people that are here. Watch over those, Lord, that are in the hospitals and sick, not able to be with us this morning. Thank you for those that are. Help me, please, in Jesus' name. I'll thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to talk to you about something. Uh, there's a misconception. A lot of people who go to kind of a church or kind of think they know what the Bible's talking about, they think backsliding means you've lost your salvation. That's what they'll tell you. Oh, you backslide so far, you'll lose your salvation. Uh, well, evidently, watch what it says here. We're not talking about Jonah losing his salvation or his relationship with God. We're talking about him backsliding. So the title of the message is simply Jonah, a backslidden servant, a backslidden servant. Let me show you what happens here. You cannot, it's impossible to lose your salvation. I'd like for anybody to stand up and tell me something that is born, how it can be unborn. Somebody tell me how many times Jesus is going to die for you if you are saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost, saved. How many times is he going to keep dying for you? book of Hebrews said he died once and for all for all sin, one sacrifice. Hebrews also says that God will never put him to an open shame again. So if once won't do it, you're on your way to hell because you're sinning. Once saved, always saved. I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture throughout the Bible about that. So let's get that settled right now. If that's the first time you heard that, come and talk to me. I'll see if I can help you a little bit. But watch what happens here. Jonah is a servant of the Lord. He knew God. But watch what happens. God asks him to do something that Jonah wasn't real fond of. Now, the reason Jonah wasn't fond of that is because when he went down here to uh, Nineveh, these were people who fought against the Jews, his people, and he didn't like them. He was prejudiced. Now, Joe Biden and their crowds all the time teaching about prejudice. So you know what that's all about. And so what happens here is this. While he's there, he simply tells the Lord, I'm not going to do this. So he picks up and goes in the absolute opposite direction of where God told him to go. Now, Christian, I'm talking to us this morning. Okay? So easy for us to do that. Whether it's over something prejudiced or it's over preacher let me down or I had a family member that, I know a Sunday school teacher who, okay, whatever it may be, whatever it may be, just understand we decide to pick up and go in a different direction because of a fill in the blank, whatever the reason is, right? You know, you probably know people who have done that, and you say, boy, that really hurt me, and yet you're going to do what they did because they hurt you. Don't you understand? You'll be hurting people too. So watch what happens here in verse number one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So he knew it. This was God's word, came to Jonah. He's Jonah's man. He understood what God wanted, and God went into detail about what he wanted out of Jonah's life. He even specified exactly which Jonah this is, the son of Amittai. Verse number two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Okay, now I know the city. I know where I'm supposed to be gone. Cry against it. I want you to cry out against it, and he tells them why. Watch what he says. For their wickedness has come up before me. He said, here's why you're going there and preach against these people. Because of their wickedness has come up before me. God said, I, I, I can't handle this anymore, if you would. So he said, you're going to go and warn them. You're going to go and tell them what's getting ready to happen. So Jonah knew exactly what God wanted from him, but watch what he did. Even though he heard the word of God, even though he knew it was God, even though he knew the city, even though he knew the why and what God wanted him to do, look at verse number three. First word, but Jonah. 
Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Now, that's a city in a different direction. From the presence of the Lord. Really? Can somebody please help me? Where in the world can you run from the presence of the Lord? But... We do this, right? Watch what happens here. So he paid to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into uh, and went down into it to go to them unto Tarshish. Here again, from the presence of the Lord. Notice two times in verse number three, from the presence of the Lord. Is this not what backsliders? I, I'm not sure they think it through. But is what you're trying to do is to get away from the presence of the Lord? So we don't show up to church, we don't show up to Sunday school, we don't read our Bible, we don't pray. Are you running from the presence of the Lord? You know what you're supposed to do, right? You know what you're supposed to do. But what we do sometimes, we head in a different direction than what God wants his children to go into. Now look, by the way, all through here, God's not mad at Jonah. God's not trying to destroy Jonah. I'll tell you what God is after here, even though Jonah goes through a hell of his own making. Now, you ever heard somebody say, I think hell's on earth? Well, not the fire burning separated from God hell. But the Bible said, a whorish woman leadeth a man to hell. Okay, she can't put you in hell. The Bible also says that Jonah ended up in the belly of hell. That's not the burning hell. Because once you're in hell, you ain't getting out. So here's what we find out, a lot of things about the Bible. So I want you to notice, look in, in, in chapter number one. First thing, disobedience always going to lead you down. Disobedience is always going to lead you down. Disobedience, look at me, Christian, no matter what it looks like you're getting ready to do, disobedience always leads downward. Look at verse number three of chapter one. He went down to Joppa. Now, if you believe that every word of God is exactly what God wanted in there, there's a reason the word down instead of over or out there. Or another city. He said down. Look at the end of that verse also. He went down into it. Talking about the ship. So he he went down to this city. Then he got on a ship and went down into the ship. Now I want you to go to verse chapter number 2. Verse number 6. He went down to the bottom of the mountains. Now there are mountains in the oceans. I'm, I'm assuming you're aware of that. And uh, we'll talk about how he got down there in a minute. Though it may seem at first... Now, because you're sitting in church does not mean you're not backslidden. Understand, backsliding does not mean you're lost. If you're genuinely saved, you're genuinely saved. Jesus is going to die once and for all, for all sin. You're either saved or lost right now. You're not one day going to be saved or lost. That's a misconception that people preach on all the time. You are saved or lost right now. John chapter number 3 and verse number 18 says, Because they have not received the only begotten Son of God, therefore you're condemned already. Already. Already, you're not one day going to be condemned. Judgments are been passed upon you. You're only out as Jesus Christ. He's the only door that can deliver you from that. So watch what happens here. Though it may seem at first walking away from what you know is right and where you ought to be. And by the way, there was a ship going that direction. Well, this must be of the Lord. I hear people say that all the time. Preacher, all the dominoes fell into place. All the cards went out right. I mean, the... the, 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 the um, Thank you, thank you. I knew you've been down to the gambling hall, and uh, all the all the dice uh, rolled the same way. Now all of those are bad illustrations, but that's what we say. We think it's luck. Well, this happened, that happened. I'm 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 lucky that didn't happen. There, to the Christian, there's no such thing as luck. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and understand here what's going on here. It appears as though he went down to get on a ship, and there happened to be one going that direction. That must be of the Lord. 
see, things are working out all right. See, it's right there. I mean, I'm going that direction. You won't believe it. Right there it is. And, and by the way, the Bible said he paid the fare. By the way, you will pay for it. You will pay for it. By the way, I was talking to a guy the other day, and we got into this conversation. I said, you're getting ready to blame God for not, not making things go away, aren't you? No, no, I'm not blaming God, but he went on ahead anyway. And I, But this is what we do. Uh, we disobey God. We do what we want to do. We, we go the direction we want to go, and then when it doesn't work out, God, why didn't you step in and stop this? Why didn't you do something, right? This is, this is our thinking many times. As though I rubbed the genie Bible and you're supposed to help me out no matter what I get myself into. Isn't that what we think? Isn't it something when we get ourselves into problems? Here, let me, let me do this with that. We get ourselves into problems that many times we... Is this on? Huh? It is on? Is it as loud as it was? You got any idea what you're doing? Oh, you do? What happens many times is we think because they're smooth sailing at first and we start walking away from God. Can, can I show you why that is? Can I do that? I'm going to get out of my notes here a minute. I want to show you something. I need you two guys up here. You two guys. There's two. There's three of them. I need two of you up here. Watch this very carefully. This is you as a born-again Christian. Now, I'm, I'm stretching the truth here, but just listen. <laughs> born-again Christian, Okay. The everyday struggle, pushing, doing what's right when the rest of the world doesn't seem to care. I mean, it can get pretty laborious. It, it can get very a struggling. A, am I going to do this all of my life? How old am I? 31. You're going to do this until you reach 70-something? Now, that's our intention, but we don't know what's coming, right? And so all of our life, put your, put your hands on his shoulders, and you put your hands on his shoulders. Now, here's what happens in your everyday. If you're a Christian... If you're a Christian, here's what happens to you every day. This is probably what causes Christians to quit more than anything else. It's the constant battle. You're pushing against your flesh, and your flesh is pushing back. The world is pushing against you, and you're trying to live right. And after a while, I mean, this gets a little tiresome after a while. So somewhere along the line, you start thinking in ways you shouldn't. And here's what you think. Man, I'm always at church. He's always telling me what to do. Man, there's no peace in my home, and things are going wrong. So here's what you decide to do. Whew. That feels better. No struggle. No disappointment. Everything seems to be okay, right? And you thought to yourself, see, that preacher always yelling and screaming about stuff. Look, I, I enjoy my life. I sleep in on Sunday mornings, right? I can eat breakfast at 3 in the afternoon. The kids are basically behaving. Look, just because you give them movies to watch all day and give them snacks doesn't mean they're behaving. Right. So he's really enjoying it. It seems as though, it, look, it worked at the right time. Relief, finally. I can't believe it. And that preacher warned and he yelled and screamed and told me no and don't. And Whoa, man, I'm glad. I finally decided. And this feels so much better. How, if he's genuinely born again, God's still talking to him. Now it's that guy at work that reminds you, hey, I went to church this weekend. You're a Christian, right? You're probably in church. He's feeling a little bad, feeling a little guilt. Now you can argue that point all you want to, but still the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart saying you're not at peace like you think you are. You're paying the fare to live here. You walked away from where God wanted you to go and you are going to pay for it. Understand, you're the one that went down you're right. the one that went down. You're the one that went down.
there happen? Who would believe? Uh, there's a ship right there. And he paid the fare. However, there will come a day when if you're truly saved, somebody on the job, somebody in your relation, somebody somewhere is going right. to say, you're saved, right? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. You go to church? So, uh, can I ask you a Bible question? Oh, gosh, I mean, come on. Conviction starts here. Right. So, you decide, I got to go. I, I can't go on this road. So, here's what you decide to do. You don't just come back to church and pick up where you left off. Huge right. mistake. That's why most people don't make it once they come back to church because you still have sin between you and God. Yes. That has to be handled. Okay, you can't just pick up and start doing good. You still have all these stains and things all over you that have to be confronted with God and tell him, you ready? This is hard to swallow. God, I've sinned. I haven't done right. I left you, and I'm sorry. Look, he already knew it. He saw the whole thing. He knows the intentions of your heart. He knows everything you were thinking. He's been waiting for you to come back. Now, here's what you think. Whew, had a good cry, went to the altar. Man, I feel so much better. I am going to get back in the battle. Two guys, come here, hurry, quickly. And you too, Mary, get on up. Get around here, hurry, 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 get around here. No, you stay here. No, get over here. Get over here, get over here in front of me. Over here, right. Now I want all of you to push. Here, get over here. I want all of you to push against me. Come here. You say, well, hey, wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute, wait a minute. He used to do this all the time. No, he never. No, he never. Listen to me very carefully. You actually think, this is what people do. You actually think, I will simply pick up where I left off. No, no, no. You added some things to your life you may not be aware of. You know what you added to your life? You, everybody has this struggle between spirit and flesh. Everybody does. But now you come back and you look in church like, oh, I hope they'll embarrass me. I've got to fix that. And then I've got to live with some of the sin that's injured my life. Now you've got to fix that too. And I let this come in my eyes and in my mind. Now I've got to face that too. See, it's not like it used to be. And this is why most people, they simply want to pick up where they left off. No, this, this, is, this is what you have. You think you're actually, okay, I'm ready for this now. Well, that's still going to be there. However, go ahead. You've got all this going on. So most people that come back to church and want to get right with God, they don't completely sell out and give it all up, and therefore they struggle with these things the rest of their life. And most, you, couldn't hardly, you couldn't hardly put up with just this. You got tired of simply struggling every... And by the way, listen, I've had men come to me and say, Preacher, I've got this stuff in my mind. When will it stop? Ready? I'll give you the answer for that. As soon as you die. Till you die, that's never going to go away. The easiest though you're ever going to have it is here. The everyday back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It is a struggle between flesh and spirit all the time. Galatians talks about that. It's never going to stop. But all of a sudden, you actually think, man, this is so much better. I, I knew it wouldn't be that hard. I knew that wasn't right. And you got, you're got you reconfirming to yourself how you always thought it should be. And you decide to get right. And you said, nope, that's expected. But what you didn't expect were all these little creatures You couldn't take that. Now look what you had to put up with. So, okay, fellas, quit pushing each other around. Now, it seems as though you found relief. I mean, who wouldn't? There you are on Sunday morning eating pancakes and sausage. Nice breeze outside. Beautiful morning this morning, by the way. 
Didn't have to give up early. Oh, stretch in the bed, hug the pillow. Oh, man, this is great. Football game's coming on a little bit. Man, this is the way to live. But you're not aware you're going down. Watch very carefully what this has to say. Go to, go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Keep your finger there in Jonah because it's coming back. Psalm 139. Book of Psalms should be in the middle of your Bible. Go to 139. He left the presence of the Lord. Did you actually think, now here's not what he said, I'm leaving the presence of the Lord. I, Jonah probably didn't say that, but that's what he was trying to do. I've got to get away from this pressure. I've got, I know what he wants me to do. I know the direction he wants me to go. I know what I'm supposed to do when I get there. I can't keep doing this. So the only way to get away from it is get away from church, parents, husband, wife, whatever the case is. I've got to get out from underneath this pressure as though the world is going to help you out. Watch carefully. Psalm 139, starting verse number 2. Now here the psalmist is simply saying that David is saying this. He said, Thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed, that was surrounded, my path, my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, oh, but, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? That is a great question. I want to get away. Where could I get away so that I don't feel convicted and guilty and, and, and my conscience not? Watch what he says. If I ascend in, up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, which is what Jonah did. He's not talking about hellfire. Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. That's why most sins and violence that takes place in the dark, you think it's covered. The darkness and the light are both alike to them. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me, he said, ever since I was born, God, you knew all this about me. Isn't it amazing, though, we actually think we're hiding stuff from God? No, what we do, we forget about God. But God doesn't want you to forget. This is the way that things go. So we find out disobedience is a sure path downward. Only thing Jonah did was say, I don't want to do that. I know what God wants. I know what he told me. I know where he told me. And I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to do that. That's all. He didn't murder anybody, right? He didn't rob anybody. Right? He simply said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go this direction. So first of all, you have to understand disobedience is a sure path downward. Number two, go back to Jonah chapter number one. Stubbornness against God brings more severe punishment. He said, but I'm his child. We'll get to that in a moment. God sent out four things to bring Jonah back. God did not send out four things to destroy Jonah. God sent out four things to punish Jonah. Ready, ready? Oh, listen. To break Jonah so Jonah would call out to God. How kind of God in our disobedience to be willing to do all of that just so we'll turn to him. Look, chapter number one, verse number four. Look at the first thing he sent, a great wind. 
No harm, no destruction, just wind. Everybody recognized it. It got Jonah's attention, but Jonah paid no attention to it whatsoever. He was on the ship. He knew what was going on. He knew the wind was blowing. He knew the ship started rocking back and forth. He knew this, and he knew why, too. Just like we do when we get out of God's will and something tragic happens to us, you tell me your mind doesn't go, I know why this is happening. I knew I shouldn't have been here. I knew I should have been here. That's the way we think. Why? Because you have a conscience. And if you're saved, God has awakened that conscience. Also, you have the Spirit of God inside you, leading and guiding in all ways of truth. He wants you to know we're not walking together right now. Come on, let's get back in step. So God's not trying to destroy you. Whatever it is you're going through, God is not trying to destroy you. God is trying, born-again Christian, God is trying to get you to please sheep that have strayed, come back. I'm looking for you. Where are you at? Please come back to me. So we see a great wind. Number two, same verse, a mighty tempest. Now, a mighty tempest here is a storm of extreme violence. God wasn't trying to drown him. God wasn't trying to destroy the ship. God wasn't trying to kill all the rest of the mariners that were on there. That's not what he was after. Jonah ignored it. He absolutely ignored these warnings. Go down to verse number five. And the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God to cast forth the wares thereof in the ship uh, into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was going, there we are again, down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. God's not trying to destroy you. Born again Christian, I said this morning, this message be more for those who are saved, those who are children of God. You understand God gave his son because he loved you and you need to forgive him. Why in the world now would he destroy you? Who, who would do such a thing? What kind of a God would do something like that? Well, he sends people to hell. God has never sent anybody to hell. People will not receive Jesus Christ, and so they say, I would rather go to hell. They don't say that, but that's, that's, that's the only other place you can go. God is not trying to hurt Jonah, neither does he hate Jonah. But it seems to be that way. This way some people read the Bible. God loves him and is trying to turn him back into God's will because that's the best place for any Christian is to be in God's will. So God is actually, even in his disobedience, God is trying to bring Jonah back. He can't make Jonah do it. God will not go against your will. You got your mind made up to live the way you want to? Even God won't stop you. God gave you a free will. You don't want to be saved? Don't blame God. You have a free will. Now, it seems as though the devil and the world is making you do things. It seems that way, but they can't. God will not make you because he won't. You have a free will. Now, I know you don't understand it, but you have a brain. Sorry. You do. God gave it to you. So when you go like, I just can't. No, you won't. You just simply will not. You have a will. You have a brain. So what happens here, go to Hebrews chapter number 12. What is God trying to do? Way up by Revelation. Hebrews chapter number 12. Sometimes people, uh, young couples will tell me, oh, I just love my kids too much to spank them. No, you don't. You hate them. Oh, preacher, don't say stuff like that. I didn't. God did. God said that. Your pediatrician said what you said. Your grandmother said, by the way, she probably used to beat the tar out of her kids, but now she's a grandma. So what grandmas do? We, we spoil kids, right? You shouldn't. Now, Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse number 5. Hebrews, are you there? And ye have forsaken the exhortation which speaketh of you as unto children. So he said, I, I'm exhorting you and I'm telling you certain things, but you're not listening. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth. By the way, that's what they did with Jesus before the cross. They scourged him. 
real tough. That, that's a tough word right there. And scoreth every son whom he receiveth. Uh, go to verse number 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but great. no kidding. I don't know. I, not one time when I was a young kid, my sister's here, did I say, Dad, I love it. Could you actually beat me again, please, honey? It's been a while. Nobody does that. But when you step out of line, you, you folks in here that put up your, oh, my kids just scream and yell all day long, and I just don't know what to do. Beat the fire out of them. Now, right now, you, chills went up your back. Oh, no, preacher, don't say that. I just did. Look, your heavenly Father chastens and scourgeth. And the more we disobey, you are saying, Father, I'm stepping out of line. you got to do something. And he goes, okay, I will. But why would he do such a thing? He says, whom he loveth. Now, you go on down and read, you find out that we have had fathers of the, in this world that chastened us for their own pleasure, and that's true. My dad did, maybe your dad did, my mom did. Uh, they just got impatient, they lost their temper, and okay, got that part. And God said, I, I recognize that's true. But I'm a good father, he says. So when you step out of line with God, he is not out to beat you down, break you down, destroy your life, and get rid of you because you embarrassed him. God said, I'm doing this so you'll finally say, God, I, I need you. It is sweet. My kids, when they were little, we used to go through this routine all the time. Uh, when they did something wrong, they, they, they sinned, they lied, they, they took, stole something. Kids do that, you know. By the way, how many of you parents keep teaching your kids to steal? I want to know how many of you parents teach your kids to lie. You say, preacher, we don't do that. Then how'd they do that? How did they do that? It's their nature, okay? So God gave them parents to train them in the way they should go. You understand? So watch what happens here. Down, down in uh, verse number 10, he said uh, that what he does here, for after their own pleasure, but he, talking about God, for our profit in verse number 10, that we might be partakers of his holiness. See, he has something in mind. What he has in mind is for you to be holy like your father. And yet right now you've decided not to. So I need to get you back here so where we can walk together and we can fellowship together and we can work together. So in order to do that, God has to chasten us. With my kids, I used to do this all the time. I said, do you know what you did wrong? Yes, sir. They said, yes, sir, it's not necessary. Yeah, I can tell. And uh, so they would say, yes, sir. I said, okay, go on upstairs. I'll be up there in a minute. Now, I didn't do this when they were 14. I did it when they were infants. We're waiting way too long to start training and correcting our kids. I'm just trying to help you young parents out here a little bit. And you're shivering right now. <laughs> My dad beat me. Then don't beat your kids. There's a right way to go about it. And when you don't, the Bible says you hate them. It didn't say you love them too much. It's more for your convenience on why you don't straighten up. Dancing in the spirit now. Now. So what happened? I said, okay, get upstairs. Yes, sir. We don't fight. We don't struggle. I don't wrestle them to the ground. I'm not chasing them all over the parking lot. No, I'll just wait till you get worn out, and then I'm really going to straighten up. So they go upstairs. I'd come up, and I had a paddle. The paddle used to be about that long, and it had a handle on it. And uh, I didn't go like this. You're in for it. <laughs> no, you never do that. Okay? I simply had it down like this. Now, they knew what was coming. We've been through this hundreds of times. And I said, what did you do? I want them to agree with me that you disobeyed. What did you do? We're not supposed to do that. Yes, sir. Have you taught your differently? Yes, sir. What do you think I should do? Kids don't like to do stuff like that. Let me go. No. And 
and I say, no, what do you think we ought to do? Here's, here's what they say, respect me. Here's what they say. You say, oh, isn't that good? Now I don't have to. No, 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 they sin. So with this here, I, here's, what I, here's what I always do. Okay, two more. If this were my son, he's not. My kids are good looking. So <laughs> I would tell them, bend over. Now watch, watch here. I'm going to help you. I'd put my hand right here. So if he begins to move up here or down here, I can feel this. And I, I don't tell him this. I'm getting ready. Are you ready? Get tense up and keep looking around. So this is what I do. I want you to keep your head down and look that way. Look that way. Don't you don't look around. I'm telling you, do not look around. You just put and I go like this. The whole time I'm talking, this is what I'm doing. Put my hand. Don't you turn around. You don't count one, two, three, four, five first? No. Because they're going to move and you're going to hurt them. I'm also paying attention to their attitude. Back down. See, it's called correction. Not make them mad them. That's not a word. It's correction. It didn't correct the problem. I wanted him to agree with me that he did wrong. He does deserve this. But here's what you're worried about. He'll hate me for that. If he does, you need to spank him again. Not a one of you taking notes on this, are you? So what I would do, I never gave more than three whacks. Never. Didn't have to. You can increase velocity. I wasn't looking to knock them out of the ballpark. I didn't put nails in there and holes. One guy called the, his paddle chocolate. So even when he's out in public and they disobeyed, he'd go like, you want some chocolate when you get home? And some dear old mom, don't your kids like chocolate? And the kids go, no, we don't like chocolate. Now, once this is done, I'm not done. I'm not done with this. So I tell him, okay, sit down. Sit down. I'll be back up in a minute. We'll talk. So a few minutes go by. I want him to sit and think. Now, I never do this when I'm angry. Never. That's why I send him upstairs. I said, I'll be up in a minute. I got to control me. I can't re-decide what he did was wrong. He needs to understand there's always a punishment for sin. Always. So when he comes back down, he says, well, preacher, how do you know if it worked? You ready? I'm going to help you. Okay, come here. He comes back down. I'm sitting down. He comes over to me, and he's very apprehensive, right? So he comes down. He's got his head down. He's looking. He'll look up at me and say, uh, you doing okay? Yes, sir. Are they okay now? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and help you. Come here. Come here. Okay, now. Let's not be doing that anymore, okay? You ready? Now, watch. If his attitude was, I hate what you were doing, you mean you couldn't tell? All of this has to do with me helping him, not just making life easy for me. God is not doing this to Jonah because it's easy for God to do it. God doesn't want to do this to begin with. But you have to understand, okay, what, what do you do when your kids disobey? Give them 45 times out a day? I know, you yell and scream. I'm not saying this again. Sure you are. You've already done it 30 times. You're going to do it again. So God said, I told you, Jonah. Jonah said, I'm not going to obey. I'm going to go the other way. When it comes back, God said, okay, you're going to have to chastise him. A wind, a tempest, a storm, a whale. It's getting worse. It's getting worse all the time, okay? Now, instead of you doing this and saying, come on, let's go down to Dairy Queen and get something. You yell and scream. They're beginning to dislike you more and more all the time. You don't.
don't explain, you don't handle things right, you have no Bible for what you just did, and they're kind of fed up with the whole thing. This is what's happening to a lot of Christians this afternoon. A lot of Christian kids, i got to hurry. So watch what's happening here. Jonah ignored in verse number 5. The Bible said he lay and was fast asleep. Why wasn't Jonah praying? Everybody else was praying. Why, why wasn't Jonah praying here? God's not trying to hurt him or destroy his life. And so we find out over in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 5 through 6 and verse number 11, that if you look at verse 11, Hebrews, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. No kidding. Nevertheless, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised or trained thereby. You want a peaceful home? You're going to have to do this. Break the news to you. Ready? Mom, grandma, dad, you don't have angels. Abigail, these two beautiful little boys. Yeah. Two great kids. Jordan said all the time, he says all the time, he said, uh, not Micah, uh, Levi. Oh, Levi's different than Micah. Every child, isn't it amazing to have two of the same parents and every child is different? Every child is different. It's just weird. How can that happen? You have one kid that it's a genius and just says everything. You ever fuss with your kids going to bed? I think every parent goes through that to, to a point. To me, it was a very short point. But I had one daughter, Carla, who you'd look around, it's bedtime, or it's in the afternoon, but where's Carla? Came back from Carla. She went on her own to her bed, laid down and went to sleep. Who doesn't want a girl like that? That's what she would, but not all of them are the same. So here's what we find out here. To continue to go away and against God, what he wants is to actually head for more punishment. Now, why would it become more severe? Because God loves you. He said so in Hebrews. I do this because I love you. I'm not doing it because I hate you. And go back to Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one, go down to verse number 17. The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, you need to quit listening to liberals. I heard a very, very famous world-renowned preacher years ago said uh, it wasn't a whale because they were listening too much to science, and they said a whale's esophagus is impossible to swallow a man. But I like what the evangelist said. If the Bible said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe that. Let God be true and every man alive. Right, what the Bible says. Look at verse number two. The fourth thing here, he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord out of the belly, I'm in chapter two, verse two, out of the belly of hell I cried. Not out of the belly of the well, though that's where he was. You read that whole instance. There was seaweed wrapped around his head. There was water and digestive stuff inside this well. And you know who did all this? Jonah did this. Jonah is the one that we cause our own problem. Most of the time, it's not God. He gets blamed for it. But most of the time, it's just uh, God is not trying to destroy Jonah. He is trying to get Jonah to turn back, get Jonah to change his mind. Jonah knew what he was supposed to do and knew where he was supposed to be. What are you waiting for, you who know that you're out of the will of God and you keep thinking, oh, man, this is getting tougher all the time. Why don't you turn back and you think God wants to end up putting you in the belly of hell? How many people come back to church and say, uh, preacher, you remember it? No. I come there when I was young. That's great. Good to have you back. And they always want to tell me what, what's going on. I said, well, how old are you now? Well, I'm 23. That 
Jesus, if you had me 28, I just picked a number. Everybody's talking about me. No, I'm just going to pick a number. And so um, they go like this all the time. Now she shows up with two kids, no husband, tattoos everywhere, piercings everywhere, looked like she fell face first in a tackle box. And all these things are going on. That was funny. It was really funny. And uh, they asked me, said, Preacher, I used to attend here. I said, How long you know? I told them that. You always do this. You know what I did? I stood here and went, I'm glad you're here. See, God was working to break that person, not to destroy the person just like he was doing Jonah right here. So you have to understand, what are you waiting for? It will just become more difficult. It's not going to get any easier. You think by visiting church on a Sunday morning, it's going to make it easier. If you're still living in disobedience, it's not. Actually, probably make it worse because now you're hearing all of this and what you ought to be doing. We, we know what we should be doing and that we're no longer doing. Everybody in this room knows what you should be doing that you're no longer doing. You know that. Number four, go back to Jonah chapter number one, verse six. There were four questions posed to the backslider. Four questions posed to the backslider. Look at verse number one. What meaneth thou, O sleeper? You ever look around and all the Christians are doing this and one guy's not and one woman's not? What you want to ask is, why, why aren't you doing what we're doing? This is what's being asked. You got all these mariners, all these people on this ship, and they're all working, they're all praying, except Jonah. Jonah went down into the ship, and he's asleep like it's nobody's business. It doesn't bother me. I'm okay with it. Why aren't you praying? If our church is having problems, why aren't you praying like everybody else? If we're running into situations, do, do you know God? You do know God, right? You know God? Why do you no longer pray? Why do you act as though the problems we face are not your problem too? Now understand, these mariners, they're heathen people. They're praying to gods multiply. So they turn to Jonah. Everybody should be praying to God somewhere, right? Jonah, how come you're not praying? It really threw them. They don't understand. We're all in this storm. I mean, we're going down. We've thrown everything overboard. By the way, none of that stuff belonged to Jonah. He's thrown everything overboard so that they don't drown and lose everything they've got. And Jonah is so nonchalant and numb to everything, he don't care. He's sleeping on there, and, and, and everybody else is trying to make a way to meet. Why do you act as though the problem's not yours? We are all in the same boat. Church, listen to me. We are all in the same boat. Well, as long as it doesn't happen to me. We are all in the same boat. I don't understand husbands and wives. You're in the same boat, and you're struggling, so one of you decide to shoot a hole in the bottom of the boat to teach the other one a lesson. You do know you're in the same boat, right? Christians do that. Christians do it all the time. We're famous for destroying our stuff. It's a shame. So, why do you ignore the problem that all of us are facing? Question number two. Look at verse number eight, chapter one. For whose cause is this evil come upon who? Not Jonah. Us. Us. See, they were in the boat with him. They took all their stuff and threw it overboard. They're rowing like crazy. They're doing everything they possibly can to stay afloat. And somebody is bringing this problem upon us. This is what they had to say. The backslider believes he's hurting nobody but himself. Well, it's nobody's business but mine. 
I'm not hurting anybody but me. That's never the case. Never is the case. Backslider, you listen to me very carefully. You are a part of a family. You're a part of a body. You're a part of a work. When you, on purpose, pull away from what you should be doing and where God wants you, you bring trouble upon everybody around you. Story. Remember Achan? I still like that God named people before this ever happened. Achan ended up Achan pretty good. Achan knew God had already told through Joshua, everybody, when we go into Jericho, the walls will fall flat. You won't have to lift a sword, throw a spear, shoot an arrow. You won't have to do anything. I've got this for you. But listen to me. I don't want you to take anything out of that city as a spoil for you. Leave it there. It belongs to me. God put his claim on it. Everybody heard. Joshua told everybody. Sure enough, God kept his part of the bargain. Walls went flat, walked right in. Nobody shot an arrow, threw a spear, nothing. Nothing happened. Just like God said. Just like God said. On the way in there, while they're destroying all the men, the women, and everybody else that's there, because that's what God said, a guy by the name of Achan decided, man, that is stuff. Who's going to miss a wedge of bread? Or some silver? Better get something from the wife. Babylonish environment. That'll smooth things over when you go home. So he takes all this and hides it, the Bible said, under his tent. So there's no mistaking whether he thought it was okay or not. When things are okay, you don't have to hide. So Jonah hides this underneath the tent. Do you want to say, well, it's just, it's, it's just Achan. It's just Achan. That's, he's not bothering anybody. Really? You read the story there about him, and you're going to find out, first of all, the entire nation suffered a defeat because of that one man. Not only that, but when it was finally found out, and you should see how this whole service went, that they found out it was Achan. He was in front of the entire nation when he was pointed out. Oh, boy, I knew that was going to happen. Then come to find out, God told Joshua, you need to destroy his whole family, his wife, his children, his animals, his house, everything. You want to know what brought you defeat? Joshua, I told you before you got started, if there's anything that enters in that should not be there, you will suffer defeat. Jonah's on his face praying, oh God, why didn't you help us? God said, get up off your face. That's what he said. Why liest thou upon thy face? There's no sense praying about what you already know is right or wrong. So he gets back up. He runs all the whole nation before him, and God finally points him out and says, that's the man, that's his family, that's who did it. He lost everything that he had. The nation suffered defeat. So what do you mean, I'll just quietly go away and it's nobody's business what happens to me? Sure it is. You're part of a family. Let me cut off your right hand and say, hey, all this is just the right hand. It's not going to bother anybody. We're part of a body, folks. You've got to understand that. We're individuals. And the Bible doesn't say we're, we're photocopies of each other. You still know what that is? Okay. Going back. We are individuals, but the Bible said we are one body. We are supposed to head in a right direction. We're supposed to have one motive, one. This is the way we're supposed to, a oneness. It's called unity in the Bible. So Jonah brings all these problems upon him. Backslid, the Bible said the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Jonah didn't care about those guys. They're rolling like crazy. They're praying to their God. They're throwing their stuff overboard. Everything they're doing, and it's not working. It's not because they were all sinners and didn't know God. It's because the Christian, Jonah, knew what he should be doing, and he wasn't doing it, and they're paying the price for it. How often in families do I see this with teenagers and young adults? 
run away from home. You go off and get pregnant. You go out and start doing drugs. You run away. You break your parents' heart. You put them underneath all kinds of pressure. They're laying awake crying at night, praying for you, trying to live what's right, and you're just out there thinking you're having a big old time. You think they're praying God destroy them? Is that what they're praying for? God, please stop them and bring them back. Well, that's God's desire. God's desire is to stop you so you can come back again. They leave church. They no longer live for God. You, you know you know what I'm talking about. They just want to be left alone. And they actually think it's that simple. Like Jonah. Look, all I want to do is lay down here and go to sleep. You all do what you want. I have nothing to do with this. Oh, yes, you did too. He brought all this upon them. And then question number four, look at chapter one, verse 11. What's he say here? What shall we do with thee? How often, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, about teenagers. To this day, I think there may be one person that did what I suggested doing. I'm not saying it because it's easy. I'm saying it because I think it's right. You have a child, a son, or a daughter that no matter what you do, you've given in all you can do except walk out on God yourself in hopes to win them back. It's not working. It's just not working. Up, uh, they're interrupting the home. There's a big upheaval in the home. You can't sleep at night. You're always worried about them sneaking out, what trouble they're going to get into. What do I do when they do this? And you're going through all of this, and they just keep going all the other direction. So parents come to me and say, Preacher, what, what should we do? I say, I'll tell you, but I don't think they will. Anything. Here's what I think you need to do. You sit down a Decent rules for any Christian should be followed. Number one, you go to Anchor Baptist Church when you're there, you're going to do this. You're not sleeping. You're not sleeping in. Don't give me the stuff you're sitting in right here. And number two, you're going to begin at this time. Make sure that it's, it's, it's a proper time. By the way, the Bible teaches any child that's still living in the home is considered to be a child. If you're an adult and want to do your own thing, move out. Go do your own thing mean your parents are going to take over and use it. So what happens is they, they do this, and here's what I tell the parents. I say, okay, here's what you need to do. What time did you tell them they had to be in? Well, I thought it was a decent time, but I didn't, didn't tell them what time it was. 2.30, they come in. You went and unlocked the door and told them to be in. I tell you all the time, do not give them money. Do not bail them out of jail. Do not buy them groceries. I, I know how you're looking at me. What you're doing, how's it working? You say, well, preacher, what are you after? They're just going to end up hating you. That's a possibility. I'm just telling you, it's a possibility. But when they get to the place, they can no longer make ends meet for them. Now will come your opportunity to guide them toward the next door. Because now, hopefully, they want to listen. I could tell you about forgiveness and how to check that out according to the Bible. I'm sorry, I won't do that again. Oh, come on, it's mom, right? Oh, they repented, everything's okay. But see, they come home, they did laundry, got a good meal, slept in a comfortable bed, and they're back out again. You didn't know what to look for. You didn't know what you were after. You wanted them back home so much, if they would have went, oh, see, they repented. You don't know that. So God said, Jonah kept walking away, and God kept turning up the heat, if you will, to try to get him to do what's right. So now all these mariners going like this. Look at the trouble you're causing. Look at the evil you brought. What are we going to have to do to you to bring this calm? Jonah already knew. Your kids already know. 
You sit in this church, you already know. Boy, if preacher knew what I was doing, he wouldn't even allow me here. They know. If you're a born-again Christian, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Jonah said, it's for my cause this thing's coming. He knew. He wasn't praying, fast asleep. He knew the problem, and yet they said, what should we do? By the way, here's what your parents are doing. Listen to me carefully. Jonah said, you have to throw me overboard. You've got to get me out of your ship, or we're all going down. Parents, are you listening to me? We are all going down as long as you can't turn our head around. Pastor, here's what you pray. Dear God, whatever it takes, bring my son or daughter back to the Lord. So you just told the Lord where they needed to go. Then they lose their job, wreck their car, have no place to stay. And guess what? You step in front of your prayer and say, I'll help you. And they stay, continue in sin. You paid their rent. You bought them groceries. You said you can stay here until you find a place. I'm not trying to ring your bell this morning. I'm trying to get you to understand God has a way of changing people. Look at Jonah. Look what he, he wasn't trying to destroy Jonah. Understand, you're not trying to destroy that child. You're trying to get their attention so they'll pay attention to you and so that you can actually help a rebellious child that has determined to stay there. You can't help. Love will not do it. You got to have a system to go through and then when their will breaks, uh, my youngest boy, James. James is a good kid. kid. James, where's my wife? Hey, how old's James? Forty. And um, James is probably the best looking kid in our family. Tall and he's just got a lot like his dad. Um, and uh, James decided uh, one time he just didn't go along with what we were doing. It's a long story, but one day he called back up. We hadn't talked to him for about ten months. He just took off like this big. He was like 20 when I wanted to talk, so I said, Sharon, get out of here, huh? About 20, something like that. Anyway, so he takes off, and uh, our hearts are breaking. We're running around. Other kids are going up into Chicago and places, driving around trying to find him. I mean, it, it, was, it, it was bad. Then we got a call out of nowhere after 10 months. Of course, everybody wants to talk to their mom. She said, James wants to know if you'll come to help him. What would you say? You know what I said? Let me tell you. I said, James, let me tell you something. Your mom and I miss you this week. But you're not coming home till Thanksgiving. Go in your armory, have a great meal, sleep in your bed, and take off and do this again. But if you're going to give all that up and start doing what's right tomorrow, will you come help him? Now, my wife, because she she said, honey, you know the kids can never really talk to us. Whoa, stop, 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 stop. Don't even do that. Don't even start there. When the kids don't do right, no, they don't want to talk to you. But when the kids want to do right and they're living right, they don't have a problem talking to you. So we left it right there. Well, later on, my son calls up again. Goes to talk to his mom. Now, we always agree. No matter how hard it is, we agree. You understand? Okay, this isn't about family, but it seems to be that way. So... I said, uh, okay. She said, honey, you know that's not right. I said, yeah, I know. So he pulls up. I'm standing out in the driveway. He gets out of the car. I can tell things are different. He walks over to me. 
touch me and bless my life. I said, well, I hope so. Now, this kid who has a hard time talking to his dad, we stood right there and talked for an hour and a half. We talked for an hour and a half, and everything has been okay. Do you understand? If I had given in, he would continue on. He wasn't living right at all. He's going, but his mommy's heart is crying out to him. Please just come home. Well, that's what I wanted too. So I want him just to come home for the weekend so we could have him at least one day, or do I want there to be a change? So Jonah is simply here and saying to himself, look, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. They said, don't tell me. You're the one that's causing this problem. What are we going to have to do to you? He said, look, I know what has to happen. You've got to throw me overboard. But you read the story. They continued to row until they had no choice. Are you waiting for God to now have to? You gave him the right and said, God, please straighten out my kids and, and bring them back to you. And God said, okay, thank you for the, for the opening. I'll do that. And then you step in the way and you start praying, oh, God, don't let him be hurt. Wait a minute, what do you want? It doesn't always work that way. But I think it's the right thing to do. Go down to verse number, chapter 1, verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. Parents, go ahead. Give it all you got. Spend every penny you got. Move every time you can. You don't want the embarrassment of church? Go change churches. Just for them, change churches. Just for them, stop doing this. Just for them, lower your standard. Actually, I thought about it. What I didn't know, I never told anybody this before, but my son had a cell phone and I did too. I was actually on the cell phone crying and yelling at him, please, I'll change things. It won't be like it was before. I would have been upset. But I didn't know on his way out, he took the cell phone and threw it in the trash. So the trash man somewhere is hearing somebody cry out that he'll get right with God. So I'm thinking, I guess, I don't know. They continued to try to help to make it work. It did not work. He said, take me up and throw me over. For my sake, this great tempest has come upon you. You kids in here sometimes, you're not living right They don't know that you're the one living in sin and bringing this on their kids. You know why? Because they're very sad. A backslider and heart shall be filled with the floating waves. He don't care what happens. Until he is broken and has nobody to turn to but God, it will not work. So number one, disobedience is a sure path downward. Number two, stubbornness against God brings more severe punishment. Number three, four questions posed to the backslider. But I want you to notice his prayer. His prayer. Not his mom and dad's prayer. Notice his prayer. Go to chapter number two, verse number one. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. See, God didn't give up on him. God said, I ask you to do this. I need you to do this. I built you to do this. You went away from me. And when Jonah finally got himself right with God, God said, okay, you need to get back to what I asked you to do. And Jonah had to go that way. You have to understand something here. When he prayed, look at chapter 2, verse number 1. There are no more outs. This is it. I'm in the belly of hell. I'm at the bottom of the ocean. I'm going to drown. I'm going to, I'm going to be disgustingly vomited out sometime. Uh, things are going bad. At this point of destruction, God's not trying to kill him. God has brought him all the way down as far as he could possibly go to the bottom of the mountains of the ocean in a whale's belly, a hell of his own making. And guess what? Jonah, this is what I was trying to tell you. Jonah finally cried out to God. That's all God wanted to begin with. Look, if you would, please. So, so that, that's his prayer. Now watch this. When did he pray? <laughs> when there's no more out. Let me just go a minute more. You're not getting out of the whale's belly 
Nick Bob said, you know, I did pray. It's over. That's it. Where did he finally pray? Look at verse 17. Verse 17, chapter number 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse number 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Verse 2. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction. I cried out to God because I was hurting unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of the Most parents are not spiritually strong enough to do this. What was Jonah hoping for? What was he after by doing that? I'm going to leave the presence of God. I'm done with church. I'm done with mom and dad. I'm done. With, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. What are you after? Seriously, what are, what are you trying to accomplish? Not only thrown overboard in a violent storm, not only swallowed whole by a whale, but he also, on top of all that, waited three days inside of a whale before he cried out to God. You ever heard that saying, when they hit bottom, they'll turn around? You know, some people hit bottom and they stay there. Jonah literally was hitting bottom. Was there for three days. Imagine that inside of a belly's, uh, a whale's belly for three days and finally make up your mind, cry out to God. What was the holdup? What were you waiting on? How much pain and hurt are you going to cause you and everybody else before you finally say, God, please, I don't want to do this anymore. What are you waiting on? What are you after? The one God Jonah walked away from. I'll hate God for doing it. He called on him. See, as long as there's any hope, your kids will keep pushing. Church people will keep pushing. Adults will keep pushing. The devil will hold something in front of you just enough to keep you. Look, it's, it's starting to change. Look, 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 I got this job. Oh, no, I got this new girl. And you just keep doing this. And you're walking away from God thinking any day this is getting ready to turn around. That's all false hope. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. God knows what you need and trying to pull you to himself. Now you have to understand no friends, no money, no good relationship with God. He knew all along what he should be doing and who he should call upon. Why? He's doing it now in the belly of hell. He knew, he knew. There was nobody down there counseling him. There was nobody down there hugging him, saying, oh, I'll be okay. He's on his own. He's in the belly of hell at the bottom of the ocean. Three days he went through that, and finally he called out to God. The very God who said, I want you to do this. He said, nope, not going to do it. And when he finally gave in to God, look at verse number 1 of chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came into Jonah a second time. You know when God is done with you? You're done with him. Number four, look what he prayed. What was his prayer? Look at chapter two, verse number one. And Jonah prayed. Now he's getting ready to tell you his prayer. Uh, the Lord out of the, I think it's woman here. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction. I'm in chapter two, verse two, unto the Lord. And he heard me, and he heard me. Nope. That's it. I gave you a chance. You're not perfect. I'm done with you. No, God's waiting to hear from him. God's waiting to hear from you. Why would you not come to an altar this morning and say, God, I know you've been waiting on me. 
I know I'm supposed to be talking to you. God, I know what I've been doing. He knows too. He's not trying to destroy you. He's not trying to destroy your kids. He's trying to get you back where you belong so you can be in the will of God because the happiest place and the safest place for any child of God is in the will of God. You ever notice your kids? How many people in here love bad kids? Raise your hand. You love bad kids. Good for you. How many people love good kids? Okay, you think I'm setting you up. I don't know. Where are we going with this? Listen very carefully. Ready for this? Whether they're good or bad, they're yours. Now, before you shake your head real big, do you know why? You say, because I love them. What happens if you quit loving them? They're yours by birth. They're yours by birth. When you become born again, you don't belong to God because you're good or bad. You belong to God by birth. And in Romans chapter 8, those last five or six verses, it says, what can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? It's not your love for God. It's his love for you that's keeping you where you need to be. So you have to understand what was his prayer. Look at verse number two. He cried by reason of his affliction unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him out of the belly of hell, uh, cried I, and thou heardest me. For thou canst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about, and the billows and the waves. He said, I'm down here, and they keep going over top of me. I'm barely holding my head above water. All these things are going on. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look. Listen, so you see what's happening here? I know I should be praying. I know I should be looking towards God. I know what is right. And it took me getting into the belly of hell itself, my own making, my own hell. I brought all this on. We're talking about a born-again Christian who's decided I don't want to live this way anymore. Okay, you listen to me. You have a good father in heaven, and he loves you so much he will chastise you. He's not like a bunch of earthly moms and dads. I love him too much. No, no, you're too selfish. You're too selfish. God said, I'm a good father, and because I love you, I'm not going to let you keep doing what you want to do. But I'm going to have to chastise you because he loves you. Verse 5, and the waters come, verse 6, I went down, see, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, and the earth with her bars was about me, about me forever. Yet thou hast, who did? Yet thou hast brought me up, my life from Corruption, O oh Lord my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Do you know why your kids haven't turned back yet? They haven't suffered enough. They're not broken. Well, I'm about ready to get an apartment. Well, I got this new job coming up, and they just keep walking away. They don't even realize they're going down and down and down and down. And the devil gives them just enough to keep saying, any day it's going to turn out. I got this promise of a job. I got this new girl, and she's really nice to me. Oh, I got this, and I got that. And you just keep going down and down and down. You don't even realize a little bit of time it's all being taken from you. Then here's what most people say. Why doesn't God do something if he's that powerful? Why? Excuse me? He's trying to bring you back to him. You're not listening. So... He goes on down through here. Look at verse number 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will See, when people come back to church, I've watched them. They didn't change a thing. They just showed back up to church. Now, I'm glad you're here. Don't misunderstand me. But 
this building's never saved anybody. This building has never straightened out anybody. It is your relationship with Jesus Christ that's going to determine how things go, whether you're in church or out of church. Once saved, always saved. That's not going to change. Once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. But personally, God said you need to obey because disobedience is going to bring a lot of heartache in your direction. You don't want that. So this was his prayer. Look at verse number seven. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Why was it my son who said he could not live by our standards and what we do in our home ran off? Now, hold on, hold on. It's that same home and the same parents that he called and said, can I come home? This is what God's waiting for, Christian. 1980, I'm sure most of you remember, I was at a place in Hammond, Indiana. It's a nationwide pastor school. I used to go up there about 30, 30 years or more. 1980, I heard, now I was already preaching, but I didn't know really what direction God wanted me to go. God made it very plain to me, made it very plain. I knew it. I struggled with it. I finally said, okay, God, I'll do it. God wanted me to go off to school because God was trying to help me become a pastor. That's something he wanted. I finally said, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. I put up a big argument with God. Why can't it be done? You don't know. I've got two kids and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I, I'm presenting my argument to God that maybe he doesn't understand what I'm saying. So I finally gave in. And I walked down and I went down the stairwell. Couldn't find my way out there. And um, I told the Lord, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I know what you want. I'm going to do it. Before we left Chicago, I told the Lord, I can't do it. God said, I want you to go this way. I said, okay. Then he said, I'm not assistant pastor in South Dakota. I was busier than ever. I mean, I was doing everything. Singing, choir, youth, bus captain, uh, assistant pastor. We were building buildings. I mean, I was busier than ever. And everything was falling apart. It was all, no matter how I struggled to make things work, it was falling apart. Because I knew God wanted me to go this way. And I said, I can't. I made excuse that doing right here is the same as doing what God wants me to do. And it's not. So what happened? I was hurting everything around me. Every department I was in was struggling. Arguments broke out. Different things were happening. I kept trying to make excuse. No, this is what God wants me not to do. It wasn't. Seven years later, Dr. Lee Robertson showed up at our church over there. My wife was studying with him at Miami right off the bat. As soon as he stepped on that platform, my heart was going out. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. So I went up to Dr. Lee Robertson. If you don't know him, he was a pastor, founder of Tracy Temple University there in Chapman, Tennessee. And I talked with him, and here's what he said to me. He said, Dr. Lee, I think I've heard God many times. Here's what he did. Here's what he said. Well, whatever you want to do, better get with it, don't you think? I said, yes, sir. He said, I don't know, according to what you're doing right now, I don't know what all you think you still need to learn or why. But if you need to go, you need to go soon. You need to get this taken care of. And I 
finally made up my mind. I thought I'd step right back into great fellowship with God. We went to Tennessee, went down there to Chattanooga. I went from making over $50,000 a year. That was way back in 36, 37 years ago. That's a lot of money. Playing carpet for 90 cents a yard. Working in a warehouse till 2 in the morning. Working myself to death. Many times, time after time after time, we'd have potatoes and biscuits. You ever eat spring biscuits? We'd have spring biscuits. Well, I'm not that crazy about potatoes, spring biscuits. So we had it out of the 35 cents. I had no idea how we were making those money. You ready for this? You ready for this? We were having the time of our life. It was great. Loved the whole thing. Really did. Didn't think much about the struggle. I was where God wanted me to be. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And by the way, let me help you understand something. In chapter number 3, verse number 1, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. It's the same as the first time. I, I can't explain this to you. God had a city Jonah was supposed to go to that needed to be saved. God called me and wanted me to come to Columbus because there was a city that needed to be saved. He said, I can't do that. Jonah said, I can't do that. Do you understand where you and I would be right now had not God chastised my life and broke me down until I finally said, we're going to make it through. What has God called you to do that you refuse? God's calling to repentance. Until that gets settled, you're going to be in trouble for a long time. Please get into God and let him use you. Please do that. You say, I don't know how it's going to work. You need to know that. You just need to know he works. It's going to be okay. Do not jeopardize lives around you by disobeying. It's not just you. It's not just you. You affect everybody. Everybody you know, everybody that looked to you, all your family, they all look to you. You're affecting more than just your own life. I said no man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. Whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. You're supposed to be living for him. Do not create a hell for yourself. Jonah is not a very big book. There's so many lessons to learn from it. And we have a tendency to believe we're exceptions to this rule. Yeah, well, that's Jonah. My name's Bob. The principles still apply. How's it going? Now, here's what first thing. First thing we ask me, how's it going? I got a job, I got a boyfriend, I got an apartment, everything's going on. That's not what I ask you. I ask you, how's it going? I'll say this and I'll quit. I was working my yard the other day, and when I'm working my yard, that's like my downtime, that's my distraction, that's my vacation time. That don't sound weird, but that's what I do. And um, I'm working, and here lately we've had these people come around and try to sell solar panels. First of all, I'm not for electric anything. I'm not for solar panels. I'm not for electric push mowers. I'm not for any of that. Not for any of that. You get a big car in Florida, it comes up, blows smoke up. Anyway, so I'm there, and I, out of the corner of my eye, I'm, I'm mowing grass, I'm sweating. It's in the middle of the day. I'm old. I see this guy walking toward me, and before he opens his mouth, I say, look, I, I'm not interested in solar panels, and I'd rather not talk about it. He said, I'm not here to sell solar panels. Okay. Uh, so he said, I'm here to talk about your electric bill. Not now, not now. So we start talking. We're out by the mailbox by the street, 
he says one thing that switches from electric to oil. That's all they had. The guy was a Marine. He'd been a Marine for six years. He's doing a job that he hates. Here's what he said. For those of you that aren't used to Baptist preaching, screaming, yelling, and challenging and hitting you in the face all the time, just ignore me. Here's what he said. Listen to me carefully. He said this. I went to a Baptist church one time. Now, he's, he was a Presbyterian. Now, if I went to a Presbyterian church, I'd be asleep in the parking lot before I ever got to church. Right, Davis? And he said, I, I, I just wasn't used to the screaming and yelling. I said, wait a minute. You were a Marine, right? What did they say? Please come back. Up to, up to, up. Is that what they did? I said, no, they screamed and yelled at you because that's what you expected and you wanted to be a part of that. You know what he said? Huh. Never thought about that. Then I told him about the first time I ever went to a Baptist church. You know, I told you this story, but it's about me. I won't hear it again. So I told, I said, I went, the first time I went to a Baptist church, this young preacher was screaming and yelling about every, I think he was making up some stuff. I wasn't sure. I mean, he was screaming. Hey, God said, bless the Lord. You'll do. And I'm sitting there going, who in the world turned this guy loose? What's he doing out by himself? But it amazed me how he knew everything I'd been doing. But I walked out. Didn't get saved. Guess what this Marine said? That's what happened to me. He said, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I couldn't tell you one sermon that they preached. But he said, I to this day can still tell you what that Baptist preacher was screaming. I said, there you go. You know what he said? I never thought about that. You're just not being taught that, folks. Listen to me. The first time a mom who loves their kids too much to spank them, when I, when I go through this, they go, this is what I do. When I tell you the way you ought to respond to God and what your responsibilities are to Him, oh, that makes sense. It's, it's, God's real sensitive to that stuff. Do you understand? We have a backslider, a Christian who is no longer walking in a direction and doing what God wants. That's what a backslider is. You don't lose your salvation but you have rebelled against your father like a rebellious brat and said, I don't have to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God said, I'm sorry, you belong to me now. Remember, you gave your life to me. And I want you to be with me and work for me, so I'm going to have to chastise you. He loves you that much. Can I ask you a question? Are you a child of God? Are you saved? If you're not, everything I've been talking about has nothing to do with you. This is what God does to his children. When I was growing up, neighborhoods back then, any grown person, any adult could beat the tar out of you. Marcia Long, we used to live across the street from us. Bell kids. We were the type of kids that the bus people would go like this. I don't think we ought to pick them up here. Uh, we were heathen people. I mean, we'd terrorize the whole neighborhood. And so when this lady crossed the street, you know, remember her? I said, yeah. One day I did something wrong. She grabbed me, you know, slapping me in the head all the way home. Slapping me, you wait till your mother finds out about you. You're going to get it. Don't you ever come back to my yard again. I'm going, ah. You know what my mom did? I'm going to sue you. You don't. No, you know what she said? Okay, get in your room. Then she laid in on me and thanked the lady for whipping me on the way home. you so much 
Christ in your personal life. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm not trying to get rid of you. I'm not going to throw you away. I'm just trying to get you back in the will of God so he can bless you. Are you saved? You have to start there. If you're not saved, he's not your father. Everybody has a father. If you're not born into his family, born again, he's not your father. You're his creation, but you're not his sure you'd go to heaven if you were to die right now. Well, I'm trying to stop. You don't get born by trying to do good things. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God loves you, my friend. But I'm here we have a disobedient child that knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing. 